0: Good morning, everyone. It's great to welcome you to Grace Community Church this morning. Good to see each and every one of you. On this day, i Pastor Mike Sigmund. And if you are visiting with us, make sure you stop by the welcome desk and let us know that you're here for the first time. We have a gift for you and some information about the life and ministry at Grace Community Church. I want to share two things with you this morning. In your bulletins, as you came in this morning, you would have received an insert that's entitled Ministry Priorities. It's a little booklet that outlines our strategic plan for 2023 through 2025. Last year, middle of last year, middle of 2020, 2022, a lot of people here helped us in a church health survey to identify strengths and weaknesses for Grace Community Church. And we took that church health survey and all of the data, reams of data, and we worked it through, we read it, we prayed over it, we studied it, and we met together as leadership teams and finally came as we pray to a direction that we feel the Lord is is giving us for the next three years in the life of our church. And we're already four months in uh, to that first year. And that is the direction that is outlined in this this booklet. Uh, It comes under three categories, connecting, growing, and going. Connecting with Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, and then connecting with each other but then also growing deeply in your relationship with Jesus and as a community called Grace Community, and then going. And that is not being satisfied just to sit, but actually going within the Grace Community main campus and serving here, going into our county and serving in community outreach, going into the world as missionaries, going into our partner churches, going eventually to a church plant. We're really calling people to First, come to know and follow Jesus, grow deeply in Jesus, and then do something for Jesus. Take the gifts and graces that God has given you. So I encourage you, take this with you, read it today uh, or this week. All the photographs in here are ministries here at Grace Community Church. We don't use stock photographs. We use the photographs of what's happening here. So you will see the people of Grace Community Church in here and just be encouraged by what God is doing and where God is sending us. Now, to that end, let me tell you something about the partnership. If you're new at Grace Community Church, we have what we've been calling a partnership. It's eventually going to be called the GCC Network and that is we have two churches that we're investing in as we help to bring them, uh, to really relaunch them so that they have vital ministry. Both of these churches are 125 plus years old, uh, Conestoga Bethel EC Church, and then Peckway EC Church down in Whitehorse. Uh, Grace Community is part of a network of churches, a denomination called the Evangelical Congregational Church. We were founded in the year 1800 here in Lancaster County. And we have 29 of our churches here in the county. Grace Community is the, among the youngest of those churches. And last two years ago, we were praying about next steps for Grace Community. And we said, you know what? God has blessed Grace Community in abundant ways uh, lots of resources, people, and talents, and giving. And we shouldn't sit here and just watch churches around us decline. And close, and especially within our church family, the Evangelical Congregational Church. And we became aware that our Bethel Church in Conestoga was struggling around 17 people and not sure what their future would be. We became aware that down at Peckway and White Horse, eastern end of the county, that church was around a dozen people, 12 to 15. And uh, so we began to invest in them. And the way we did that was we raised up pastors. Pastor Jesse Bills is part-time down at Peckway, part-time here as our discipleship pastor. Pastor Kevin Kummer uh, spends 15 hours at Conestoga, 30 hours here as our missions pastor. We have a pastoral intern over at Conestoga by the name of Jake Farnham. Jake and his wife, Jesse, used, used to worship here at Grace Community. And so we, we sent these pastors with the agreement of the congregations, and both of those churches are experiencing God's blessing. I was at Conestoga last Sunday for their 10-15 service. There were over 60 people there. Had been at 17, 22 months later, there are around 60 or more, and it is multi-generational. It's exciting to see what God is doing there. Down at Whitehorse, Peckway Church is up to about 35 to 40 from its... Uh, 12 to 15 position, they had an Easter egg hunt this year, and they never saw 200 people in their building before, but they saw it that day when everybody came for the Easter egg hunt from Whitehorse and every other little crossroads around there. It was incredible, giving them all kinds of opportunity to reach out. So God is at work. Two months ago, a family from our congregation asked me whether I could just speak with them about a vision that they had, and they simply said, we believe that God is doing a great work at Peckway and Conest. We're excited about that. We believe that one thing that would benefit from those congregations is if their pastors could be full-time and their pastors could really invest deeply into those communities and help develop those churches. And so we're going to make a gift of $100,000 to Grace Community Church to employ those two pastoral teams full-time. And the goal of this gift is that We will set aside $60,000 for Peckway, $40,000 for Conestoga. And let me just give you an example of this. At Peckway Church, they will receive a subsidy of $30,000 beginning July 1, 2023 through July 1, 2024. And that will help bring their pastor, Pastor Jesse, to full-time ministry. He will then be able to invest himself fully and completely in that ministry build it up, grow it, lead the people there to help grow that congregation. And the understanding is that as they grow in this next year, then we get into 2024, their subsidy will go from 30 to $20,000, and they will pick up that extra 10. And we get into 2025, their subsidy will go from 20 to 10, and they'll pick up that extra 10. And by the year 2026, the vision is by our prayer, by the power of God, that Peckway Church will once again be a full-time congregation, full-time pastor, and they'll be supporting that pastor and reaching their community. God has already shown some amazing things at Peckway, just some of the things that Jesse is already starting to do to do to lay that groundwork. And the same will be true over at Conestoga in a different way because they have a pastoral team. This is exciting. Those congregations are amazed. They have never seen this kind of generosity, and they really have felt very deeply loved and cared for, that anyone would love and care for them enough to say, we want to invest in you because we believe that God wants to use you as a tool in his hand to help people come to know and follow Jesus Christ. And I've never seen that either. And I'm just excited by what the Lord has provided. I think we need to return thanks to the Lord for that gracious gift. Praise the Lord for his goodness and his grace. (laughs) Pastor Jesse will be leaving us as of June 30th to become the full-time pastor at Peckway. But Pastor Jesse remains on our pastoral team, as will the pastors at Conestoga. Pastor Kevin remains with us as our missions pastor, and Jake will be assuming more hours at Conestoga. And they will all be part of the GCC pastoral team, but they'll just be sent out to different places to serve the Lord, to help people know and follow Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing, and we are grateful to him for his good work among us. Thanks be to God. Pastor Addison is going to come and lead us in prayer and then read the word of God.
1: Good morning. Please join me for a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you that um, you have shown your goodness and your purpose for this church over and over again. We thank you that we live in a county where it's easy to find a great church, not just you know, Grace Community Church or Willow Street, but many, many, many other churches where people are being taught the gospel and are connecting with each other and, and are seeing their kids grow in their faith and are, and are connecting, to, um, connecting to leaders and teachers who, who care about them and care for them. And we thank you that we get to be one of those churches. And, and we're, just, we're just thrilled that we get to be here in this time and, and get to see you work in the way that you are working and Lord, we pray that you would just help us to help us to be cognizant of your goodness, Lord. That we wouldn't let ourselves be the type of people who are complaining or always focusing on the negatives, but instead choosing to focus on your work and your goodness. And Lord, I pray that as you are good to us, Lord, we would not we would not see it as license for complacency, but that we would um, lean into the work you would have us do, Lord. That in, in a time when we are we are comforted, Lord. There are gifts that provide for us financially. There are opportunities for us to see people come to know you, Lord, that we would not just take that comfort and enjoy it, Lord, but that you would make us uncomfortable, Lord. Put us in a position where courage is necessary and where we need to follow after you, even into things that make us scared or uncomfortable or, or might might prove difficult. And that fits perfectly in what we're talking about this morning as we reflect on the courage of David, that, that he showed up to this to this battle and while everyone else was terrified while everyone else was was slinking back he said well who is this guy that, that he thinks he can defy the armies of Israel and, and and lord i pray that that would be our attitude as we come across aspects of the world that that make us go well this should not be lord that we would we would step out not not in our own might not in our own power not in our own scheming but in your courage that we would we would prayerfully and, um, and lovingly say, this should not be. And, and, and Lord, that we would ask how you would have us correct those things in the world that do not line up with your will. And we thank you that we look forward to a time when your will will be done um, in all aspects of our lives. We look forward to a time where we will be with you for eternity and all will be in compliance with your will. But until then, Lord, help us to be the type of people that are about bringing the world under you, under your lordship, under your kingship, and that we would um, and that we would share the gospel with people who desperately need to hear it. That we would have a deep love that comes from your well of love that you have for lost people, and that we would care deeply for our friends and our neighbors and desire for them to enter into a new and growing relationship with you. We look forward to the things you're going to teach us this morning, and we pray that you would make your word clear to us. We ask this in your name, Amen. I forgot to read the scripture. I was just kidding. <laughs> I was like, why isn't Mike moving? Um, and uh, <laughs> turns out, just assume you're wrong. It's like when your wife says something and you disagree. You're like, I must, I must not have information. Um, <laughs> we'll be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, beginning, <laughs> beginning in verse 4. <laughs> Uh, 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 4. The words will be on the screen behind me, and we will be jumping around. We won't be reading the entire chapter. Beginning in verse 4. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and his, its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Skipping down to verse 32. 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. And then finally going down to verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him.
0: Thank you very much, Pastor Addison. No problem. Don't forget your phone. It's sitting down there in my chair. (laughs) Your PayPal account was helpful to me in that brief time there. So (laughs) thank you. I recently bought slingshots for my grandsons. Cam is seven and Gray is five. It seemed like a really good idea to me at the time. I was shopping by myself. Jenny wasn't with me. So I had no one to ask and no one to say no. But as I was shopping there at Dollar Tree, I thought, man, they would fit really nicely into the Easter baskets. And probably I should check and see whether that ball that comes with them would hurt anybody. And so I touched it, and it was soft, and it was squeezable. And I thought, this is going to be wonderful. What I hadn't considered is that that little ball, given the force of a seven-year-old across about 20 feet from the living room into the kitchen, could really sting Papa when it was first thrown. (laughs) And it really did sting. I said, boys, and Cam said, you gave it to us. Remember the hand that gives you chocolate, boys. Remember the hand. (laughs) I found out that day that there's a reason in the Merriam-Webster dictionary that a slingshot is defined as a handheld projectile weapon. And in the hands of a boy who is enthusiastic and who is courageous, it can do a little bit of damage as well. Welcome to the story of David and Goliath. It's a wonderful story. It's a story that is very well known across the culture, whether you have been to Sunday school or not, you probably know something about the story of David and Goliath. It is the next story in our sermon series called The Stories of His Power. Now, there are many different ways to preach this story, different themes, different topics, different big ideas. The big idea that I want us to discover this weekend is simply this, that God wants his people to be people of courage. God wants his people to be people of courage. Say that with me. God wants his people to be people of courage. Now, to understand what that means and what it looks like, we're going to go back to the story and simply observe some things about the people of God, that would be the Israelites, and about the principal character in the story, and that would be David. So first of all, let's look at the people. The very first thing that you see is that the people of God were afraid. The people of God were afraid they were afraid of the Philistines, and they were afraid of their champion fighter Goliath. Now the story begins in chapter uh, seventeen of 1 Samuel, and it begins at, at verse one, and the sense of the story is that the Philistines decided that they were going to go to war against Israel, and so they lined up in a valley, and they were on one hillside, and Israel came out to do battle against Philistines, and they are on the opposing hillside. Now, what the Israelites didn't realize is that the Philistines had a secret weapon, and that secret weapon was a man named Goliath. Goliath came from the town of Gath. Gath had a reputation of people who were really big. They were really tall, and they were really big. And Goliath, by according to Scripture, was over nine feet tall. Some say nine feet, nine inches tall. That his armor weighed 125 pounds, that the very tip of his spear itself weighed 15 pounds. This was a big guy. And so, in this kind of warfare, what happens is armies face each other, and then someone shouts battle and they come against each other, except in this particular war, it didn't work that way. They didn't shout anything. In fact, Goliath broke ranks, came out and terrified the Israelites by his very height and girth and by the weight of his armor. And oh my goodness, look at what the word of God says. On day one of this would-be battle, Goliath says, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. I'm thinking that some of those men were saying, no, don't give him to me, don't give me to him. And on hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. The people of God were afraid. Secondly, fear paralyzed them to a place of inaction. How do we know that? Well, look at verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. 40 days. Not one single spear was thrown by Israel for 40 days. You know why? Because for 40 days, every day, The first thing that happened in the morning was Goliath broke ranks, came out and taunted Israel, and they were terrified, dismayed. Look at what the Word of God says. On day 40, verses 23 and 24, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. But when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear, fear paralyzed the people of God, to inaction. The third observation I want us to see here is that the people of God forgot who had the power. The people of God forgot who had the power. King Saul was the earthly leader of God's people, but even King Saul forgot who had the power. There is no indication in Scripture that King Saul said to his people, remember, God is the one who will do this battle for us. There's no indication that Saul led his people in any godly fashion. There's no indication that there was anybody among the people of God who even had thought about God. So, what did King Saul do? He put his faith in a scheme instead of a savior. Look at verse 25. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills Goliath. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. So what should I do as king of the people of God? Well, I I don't even think about God. So you know what? I know what I'll do. I'll give a reward. I'll just give an enormous amount of money and I'll give one of my daughters... And I'll exempt whoever it is that fights this battle from taxes for the rest of their family's life. Surely someone from the Israelites will step forward and say, that's me. I want to be wealthy. Which, which daughter do I get before I agree? But I want to, I, I'll go along with it. Not one man stepped forward. Saul put his trust in a scheme instead of a savior. And sadly... Sadly, he looked for someone else than looking for God to help him. That's the people of God. Now, let's look at David. David, first of all, was courageous. His courage is best summarized in verse 32, where David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. The people of God were dismayed, they were terrified, they were shaking in their shoes, they were running in fear. David was full of courage. Now this is probably a good place to stop and define what courage is. And it's so often the case in the Bible, the actual original Greek and Hebrew words mean a whole lot more than we can even capture in our single English word. So when you're reading the scriptures and it talks about courage and it calls us to be courageous, understand this, that that word is like full of all kinds of meaning. In fact, the biblical words for courage uh, convey things like strength and confidence and boldness. They convey trust in someone or something. Every time you read the word for courage in the Bible, it is an active word, And it means that the person who has courage takes responsibility with action to address matters that cause others to be fearful. Courage is always fueled by faith in the Bible. Courageous people act on what they believe is right. Hear that? Courageous people act on what they believe is right, and they act in the power of God, trusting that he will be the one who will help them. Pastor John Piper, in an excellent little article entitled Christian Courage, writes that Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing regardless of the earthly cost, because God promises to help you and save you on account of Christ. I want you to read that with me, even though it's not in all caps. Go ahead and read it with me, okay? Christian courage is the willingness to say and do the right thing, regardless of the earthly cost, because God promises to help you and save you on account of Christ. David was full of courage. Secondly, David's courage led him to take action. Now, this is what everyone remembers about this story. We all remember that David went to the brook and he got five stones and put it into his pouch and he took one of those stones and he, it, it wasn't actually a slingshot like I bought a dollar tree. Well, of course it wasn't one like dollar tree. It was more expensive, but um, he, it was sling was like a, a piece of material and you put the, the rock in the end and you, you were called a slinger if you did this and you were a slinger and you, <sighs> what you need to know about armies in the day of David is they had three divisions cavalry, infantry, artillery. If you were in the cavalry, you had a horse or a chariot. If you were the infantry, you had armor, you had a javelin, a spear, and a sword. If you were in the artillery, you did hand to hand combat, and at the very most, you had a slingshot. So, what you need to understand about this story is that Goliath is in the infantry. He's got armor. It weighs 125 pounds. He's got a javelin, a spear, a sword, and his spear has a tip on it that weighs 15 pounds. And then there's David. Now, David is the eighth son of Jesse. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Aminadab, and Shema, are in the Israelite army. David is not. David's principal weapon is a harp, which he plays in the presence of King Saul to calm his nerves. But he's a part time harpist because the other part of his time is spent as a shepherd. The reason he's on this battlefield is that 40 days into this battle, Father Jesse is worried about his three oldest sons, turns to the young son Jesse who happens to be a boy, a runt, if you will, small, and says, son, take this bread and take this cheese and go out and see how your brothers are doing in the battle. And so he does. He goes out on the mission for his father to check and see how his brothers are. He arrives there. And as you read the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17, because he's a young guy, because he's excited, because he is full of courage. The first thing he sees is this enormous Goliath, and he hears Goliath taunting the people of Israel, and he notices that the army of Israel, instead of standing up to Goliath, they hightail and run. And he says, what's going on here? And everybody around says, don't you know? No, I don't know. Well, Goliath, the, the king has a reward, and, and the reward is is money and and, and a daughter and, and and taxes that are canceled for the rest of your father's life. David says, "What? Repeat that for me." Yeah, money and a daughter and taxes that are canceled. Repeat that a third time. Money and a daughter, a daughter, yeah, a daughter and taxes that are canceled for the rest of your life. Really? And at that point, Eliab, the oldest brother, knows that his. Young brother David is there, and he becomes irritated. There's this wonderful four verses of sibling rivalry that takes place until Saul, until Saul hears that David, this young kid that plays harp in his presence, is there. Comes up to David, what are you doing here? David says, I can take that one out. I can do battle. I can conquer Goliath. You can't do that. Don't you realize that Goliath was a boy since he was a boy, has been in the infantry. You're just a boy. There's no way that you can take him out. But David stood his ground. He was full of courage. In fact, as the God's people were paralyzed by fear, David was energized by courage. And he acted on what he believed was right. And his courageous action was fueled by faith. David was a man of courage. And his courage led him to action. But here's the third thing I want you to see. David had faith in the one who had power. If you forget everything else, write this down. David had faith in the one who had power. Say that with me. David had faith in the one who had power. It's interesting. As you read this story arrogantly, Goliath taunts the people of God. This day, I defy the ranks of Israel. And that's all the people of God heard. In fact, in verse 25, they walk around and say, oh my goodness, here he comes out to defy Israel. But that's not what David heard. In verse 32, David courageously declared that he would fight Goliath. King Saul said to him, you're not able, you're just a boy. And this is what David says. He provides Saul a resume of his life as a shepherd. When a bear or a lion carried off one of my sheep, I would go after it, strike it, and rescue the sheep. Now look at this. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the army, say it with me, of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And that's not all. David's courage was fueled by his faith, and his faith was in God alone. Look, if you would, at verses 45 through 47. David said to the Philistine, to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, The battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. David understood something that every one of us need to understand in life. That when we face the giants of life, it is not by our might or our power, but by the power of God at work in and through us that overcomes the giants of our lives, the challenges to our faith. Oh, I love how in verse 45, David says to Goliath, you have your weapons, but I have the Lord. I have the Lord. Now, to summarize this story, Israel overestimated the threat and underestimated their God. And David's estimation of both was just right. I wanna ask you a question today. Have you ever overestimated the threats in your life and underestimated the power of God in your life? Can I take you back to Easter, where we learned that the power that resides in us through the Holy Spirit is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Never underestimate the power of God. So then, what do we do with this story? What difference should the truth about courage make in our lives? Well, let's go back to the big idea of the sermon. And the big idea is that God wants his people to be people of courage. And that's especially true when we face challenges to our faith. We saw that in David's life. And it's true in our lives as well. Christians are called to be people of courage. Christians are called to be people of courage. Why is that? Because while we live in this world, we are not of this world. We live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and we live by the authority of God's word. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. Our values and beliefs will often conflict with the values and the beliefs of this world. As we live under the authority of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, as we seek to be obedient to the Bible, which we believe from Genesis 1 through Revelation 22 is the word of God, It is inspired by God. It is infallible, which means it's fully trustworthy. It is inerrant. That means it's without error. It is authoritative for what we believe and how we live. It is the authority. It is living truth for us. As we hold to Jesus Christ as the one and only Savior and his word, The beliefs and values that we hold then will at times, and maybe increasingly so, be in conflict with the beliefs and values of this world. The culture in which we live is in moral and spiritual decline. In some places, it's in a free fall. I began this week in a prayer meeting with six pastors from Lancaster County. We were called together by Pastor Kevin Eshelman, who's the lead pastor up at Ephrata Community Church. We were hosted by Pastor Bill Eckert over at Calvary Church, and the six of us gathered at 8.30 on Monday morning simply to pray, to pray for each other, to pray for each other's ministries, to pray for our churches and to pray for our county. It was interesting in that conversation, Kevin mentioned the fact that it can be very easy if you live in Lancaster County to be lulled into thinking that the rest of the world is like this. It is not. We had visitors two weeks ago from Maine. They came to bring their daughter to visit Lancaster Bible College and they came to worship here. And as we were talking after the service, the mom said to me, We live in Maine, which is a post-post-Christian culture. Not post-Christian, but post-post-Christian culture. We live in Lancaster County that still retains, to a large degree, a memory, and in some places, a true deeply embedded culture of Christian faith. Doesn't mean that our county doesn't need Christ. Oh, my goodness. Probably more so than ever. Because if we're not careful, we'll think that everybody around us are believers. And they are not. But we are blessed to live in this place where there is such a sense of honor for Jesus Christ in so many corners. But not across the entire culture. In the larger culture, in the United States, Christians are in the minority today. We need to understand that. We need to accept that. We need to understand that challenges to our faith will increase over the course of time. And when those challenges come, we can either retreat in fear, or we can be courageous, bold, and stand firm in our faith. I've added to my morning devotional time in 2023 a desire to pray for the nations. So I I have this app called Operation World. And usually before I, I read the word in the morning, I sit in my chair and I go to the app and the app pops up and for that day, it gives me information on a nation of the world that I'm going to pray for that day. It's really cool, and it tells me about the, the nation and gives me information so I get a sense of it. It gives me a map. So on Wednesday, as I'm writing this sermon, preparing to come in here and finish this sermon, I'm praying for the world, and I go to the app, and Comoros comes up. I mean, I'm learning about all kinds of nations. I mean, there are nations in this world that are the size of New Danville. Honestly, there are. It's unbelievable. So Comoros comes up. What is Comoros? It's an island nation off the coast of Mozambique. Hmm, okay. So in this app, every day, I pray three to five, sometimes seven prayer requests for the nation. Comoros, 98.8% Muslim, ranks number 42 on the list, list of top 50 nations where Christians are persecuted. Here was the prayer request for Comoros, on Wednesday morning, pray for courage for those choosing to follow Jesus and wisdom for all who must walk out their faith in this hostile atmosphere. Okay, so I prayed for Comoros and I prayed that prayer. And as I was praying for Comoros, it occurred to me that as I'm saying these words, this prayer request can apply to my own American culture as readily as it applies to the Comorosian culture. And depending on where you live and who you're surrounded by, you really do need courage to choose to follow Jesus and wisdom to walk out your faith in an atmosphere that sometimes is hostile. I don't know about you, but I read the News reports about things that are going on around us here in the borders of Lancaster County, and by some definition, I'm a hate monger. I'm a hate monger because of the things that I believe from the authority of God's Word. I'm not a hate monger. I, I, every time I read that, I want to say, I'm not a hate monger. I'm not. Believe me, I'm not. I'm not. I, I just live under a different authority. I have a different Lord. And 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 because I believe something different shouldn't mean that I should be hated or labeled as a hate monger. And yet, in our culture, that's true. We don't face persecution like that of Comoros, but the atmosphere of our culture is increasingly hostile toward biblical truth and values, and toward Christians who live by them. We are in moral and spiritual decline. And gospel-centered Christianity is in the minority. The biblical convictions that we hold that the sanctity of human life from conception to eternity, the biblical conviction that we hold that marriage is the union of one man and one woman, gender determined from birth, the conviction that we hold that there are two genders, that God is the one who creates those genders, male and female, the conviction that we hold that There is only one Savior in the world. His name is Jesus. There is no other way of salvation. Every other world religion will not lead you to the one true and living Savior and will not give to you the forgiveness of sin and a new and eternal life in Christ. These beliefs, these convictions, they put us at odds with our culture. And yet... God calls us to live bold, courageous lives in Christ in this culture and in this world. He calls us to obey his word, and the only way we can do that is with courage. The handprint of courage is all over the Bible from Old to New Testament, and there are a lot of different passages that call us to be people of courage, but there's one that struck me as the one that we needed to read and look at today as I, as I moved toward the close of this message, and it's from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Read it with me. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men and women of courage, be strong, do everything in love, be on your guard. That means be alert to the influence of false teachers and false teaching. Oh, my goodness. 37 years ago when I was in the ministry, we didn't have to deal with social media. We didn't even have the internet. So nobody had a website. If you wanted to disseminate false teaching, you had to do something that is very vintage. You had to write it up, put it in an envelope, put stamps on it, take it to a post office and send it. Today, if you use the right font, have the nicest pictures, make it look really professional, you can put it out on social media, and people will believe the dumbest things. And it's false. And it's conspiracy theories. And it is not of God. And so, what God says is, be on your guard, Against false teaching and false teachers. In his farewell address to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, this is what Paul said. He said, even From your own number, men will rise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, he writes, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. They will not teach the Bible for fear that the Bible might offend someone. But this is the word of God, friends. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith, Paul writes. Don't drift away from the Son of God or the word of God. Choose God's word as the authority for your life, but know that when you make that choice, you are choosing to courageously face a culture that will not understand you at times. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. Be willing to say and do the right thing even if the right thing is going to be painful to you. Be willing to say and do the right thing because by saying and doing the right thing, you are pleasing the one you are called to please and him alone. His name is? But don't miss this. Because of the way we number our verses, you could just read verse 13, but don't miss verse 14. Do everything in love. Do everything in love. Say it with me. Do everything in love. Don't be a mean Christian. Don't be a hateful Christian. Don't be mean. And if you choose to be mean, don't tell them where you go to church. (laughs) Don't be a mean Christian. Don't be a hateful Christian. Don't go through your Christian life with a hard edge and a hard heart. Treating people as if they have no dignity. No honor. Every person we meet. No matter how diametrically opposed they may be to us. Are made in the image of God. They do not deserve our rage and our temper and our sophomoric, nonsensical behavior. They don't need a mean witness for Christ and a hateful word from a follower of Jesus. They need the love and the grace of Jesus. Friends, we can stand in the authority of God's word. We can stand on the authority of, of truth and, and, and have have convictions that are so opposed to what the culture says and still be gracious and kind. I remember when in our culture, you used to be able to have a difference of opinion with someone and still come out friends. I remember we had this thing in the culture years ago called civility. (laughs) We don't have it anymore, but we used to have it. God help us. The church of Jesus Christ and Christians need to set the pace. We need to be civil. We need to be gracious. And we need to be loving. I've had conversations with people that I oppose, I, I, I oppose that, that, that have an opposing viewpoint from me. And, and I've been able to have conversations with them. And I've stood my ground. I've stood firm on the word of God. And I've been able to smile and been able to say brother i'm completely in disagreement with you but i appreciate that you've been able to share what you believe in and i hope that you appreciate that i've shared what i believe in do you mind if i pray for us both right now you can do that and and then you let the rest up to god because you know what you're not anybody's savior there's only one savior and his name is jesus Listen, the Word of God says this, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Listen, our enemy is not that person that opposes us. It's the devil. We need to love and care for the people around us. So, this call to courage is for now. We need to Be on our guard now. We need to stand firm now. We need to be strong and courageous. People of courage now. We need to do everything in love now. God wants us to be people of courage, courage that is fueled by faith. People who do what is right. And we do it in the courage of the Lord. So I want to ask you today will you be a man or a woman? of courage. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that out of the story of David and Goliath could come such powerful truth. To see this man stand firmly and to be a man of courage inspires us that that's who we want to be for your honor and glory. We want to stand firm and we want to be courageous even as the culture around us would drift further and further away from you and our values and our beliefs would be challenged. Help us to be men and women of courage on our guard, standing firm, being strong, and doing it all in love.